Hi, I'm Jeremy Dale. I'm Ronnie West. We are mental health professionals who are convinced that the goal of parenting is to produce competent and virtuous adults. Welcome to the Good Parents, Good Children podcast. When we're looking at all these emotions and we're thinking about what we should expect of them, well, if if we understand the purpose of the emotions, so how they can be a blessing and useful, then we'll know better how to explain that to our kids and talk about it. When it, when they're justified in our, in our, you know in ourselves, we want to know the difference between affect, the presentation of emotions, yes. and the emotion itself, and the fact that our thoughts and interpretations are the primary cause of our emotions. And knowing, I mean, so we get back to this whole, also this GPP stuff about uh-huh. my kids should not fear me. And that's not, I don't think that's reasonable. I think that yeah. your kids should respect, and to a degree, fear your authority and what you'll do to them if you act out. I remember seeing this video um, like years ago when there was some riot and this kid, this teenager is going out to like riot. His <laughs> mom rolls in and she like grabs him by the arm oh, and I starts saw that. whacking him and like pulls him away. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff about that that may not be optimal, but you know what? I really appreciate her compared to parents that aren't there pulling their kids out because that kid's in danger. If he has, uh, if he interacts with the police, it could go wrong. It could go bad um, Mm -hmm. because he doesn't, you know, if he's looting, we don't want him to get shot, but he doesn't need to be looting. He's destroying people's property. And so the mom is protecting him both from the danger of the consequences of the decisions he's making about to make. And she is showing that maybe he should still be a little afraid of her wrath and it may not be perfect, right? Uh-huh. Like it'd be better if she didn't need to be violent towards him when he's a 15 yeah. or 17 year old yeah. kid. But I don't think he went looting that day. Like, you know, that kid wasn't getting in trouble with the police or destroying other people's property. Maybe he's better off now than he would be if he had been looting. Like it was better than the looting. Be better if he never showed up and she didn't have to do it, but it's better than the looting, you know, anyway. All right. I'm going to grab sadness and happiness because I've got, got some stuff to say about them. All right. All right, so here so, we go. So, so there's a bunch of emotions, anger and fear so far. So now sadness and happiness. But we're only, so we're, like we're only doing six. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I'd do a little recap. So now, now I'm grabbing sadness and happiness. All right. All right. So uh, sadness, I think we agree, teaches you about how to grieve, how to appreciate loss, um, how to say, well, that that's something that I value, something that was worth Something I, I used to um, come home from camp in the summer and go into what I would call uh, a depression. Not not really, but uh, I'd just be sad just for about a week. For a bit. And that's because I loved it so much, and so sadness is a way um, to grieve and a way to feel. Oh, that 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 matters. Um, uh, happiness. Uh, it, I guess it's important to say yeah. if you never experienced that feeling of loss. Yeah. Missing something of value. I think that that could make it so that you valued the thing less. It could. For you to fully, for us as humans to fully value something, some degree of sadness at the, at the, at the, at the thought of it being gone Mm -hmm. or at it being gone permanently or for a time helps us to value it. And so if we're valuing things correctly, then we'll feel some sadness and loss when important things are lost and when things that aren't that important are lost, we won't feel that bad about it. Like that's where sadness is functioning properly, I think. Uh, happiness is a little bit harder because 
there's a whole field on the science of happiness and some people define it define it as a transient positive mood state and some people want to equate it kind of only with uh, satisfaction we're viewing happiness as something akin to uh, appreciation so it, it's basically a an, an internalized reward that happens when you've done something right so it's your reward for being virtuous for for doing something competent so you can have a transient positive mood state by doing things that are vice and destructive uh it it won't last it'll be complex and um and associated with guilt so we're seeing happiness is potentially more of a, a somewhat more enduring state and i wanted to grab grab uh, sadness and happiness at the same time because of what the gpps say about them they say that happy children is the goal of parenting and and actually view the child's happiness as the parent's responsibility yeah at least to it seems to us to a large degree that's the case yes all right uh, why why i find that uh, a, a bit troubling is on the GPP side of thing, you know, there's this big emphasis placed upon the relationship, but the children actually don't seem very happy. Like the, the children seem to be uh, catered to and, and needing to be satisfied on a regular routine. The, the competence and, and gracious version of happiness would really be the ability to do the things that would produce happiness in you. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it comes back to my, my thinking on um, life and this isn't unique or, or starting with me, but if you pursue virtue and competence, then there's a good chance, some joy, happiness, satisfaction, mm-hmm. gratitude, all those things are going to come along. You'll have a, a contented life as you pursue virtue and competence you appreciate what you have, you enjoy mm-hmm. what you have, you're grateful for what you have, and you're, you know, you're more content and happy. If you pursue happiness, your virtue and competence are not likely to go up in the same way or to the same degree. And I think you're also not as likely to achieve long lasting happiness. Mm-hmm. And so one way to think about happiness as well would be happiness is functioning correctly when you gain oh, okay. it as, as a, um, as a matter of course, while you're pursuing virtue and competence, mm. it's not functioning correctly when you achieve happiness, maybe in short bursts or whatever, because of selfish pursuits, because of frivolous pursuits, because mm. of immoral pursuits. So you're doing things that, yeah, you feel happy for a little while, but it's the result of things that are frivolous. They're not worth anything mm. or worse yet. They're actually immoral. They're causing trouble for yourself and others. You're engaging in not great behaviors and then you get happiness, but it's brief for a little while. Yeah, maybe it's happiness. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't need to quibble about whether it's happiness. Maybe okay. it is, but it's broken because you're, you're rewarding the wrong things mm-hmm. and you're gaining it the wrong ways. So happiness works best when it's the result of a life lived well. All right. Tell me about guilt then. Okay. So sometimes I think, um, I want to talk a little about guilt and shame. Sometimes guilt and shame, either or both can kind of get a bad name. And therapists, I think, can really make an error with this where they'll see a a client 
that is feeling guilt or shame. And they'll think that the relief of the guilt and the shame is sort of the goal. Mm -hmm. And they're not entirely wrong, but then the way that the course to get the relief to happen is through acceptance, right? Like that's the path. What are we going to accept in this scenario? So with guilt, it might be accepting. I am this way. Like, that's just how it is. I am this way. I accept it. Not, mm-hmm. yeah, I could do better and then pursuing doing better. Well, okay. And so a, a properly functioning guilt system, and I've thought this for a while, uh, is one wherein when you're guilty for something, you feel guilty. Right. So if you actually do something wrong, then you feel bad about it. Yeah. And so uh, guilt that leads to uh, paralysis or just depression, well, that's not working. But broken, gu- yeah. But guilt that motivates uh, you to to repent, I guess. Guilt, guilt that causes you to to restore, atone, take action, to resolve what you've done. So, like you've done something wrong, or you've been in the habit of doing a wrong thing, and then you feel guilty enough about that to change. To change, which is just another word, repent, change. They're basically synonymous. I mean, changing for the better is repenting. So yes, guilt should motivate repentance, maybe motivate um, sincere apologizing, restitution, writing relationships, which is all related to that. So changing would be, I don't make that error to the same degree or as much or at all anymore. Like that's changing for the better, right? So guilt Mm -hmm. should motivate you to do that. Also making up for past wrongs, confessing, Mm -hmm. um, admitting the problem, um, going to the people you've wronged letting them know, Hey, I wronged you. I know I wronged you. It's not okay. I've made this plan. I apologize. Please forgive me. Like motivating you to do those things. So you try, you put some evil into the world. You put some evil into your relationships into yourself. You're doing what you can to right that wrong. Guilt is supposed to motivate that. Um, and so when it does, it's good. And that means that Guilt is a completely healthy, natural, wonderful gift. It's an emotion that we should have and pursue from time to time. Our kids should have it. It's good that they feel guilty sometimes. It's also good that they know how to show their guilt. That's right. A kid that doesn't know how to show that they feel guilty, that may be a sign that they've got, they're struggling a little bit with a pride problem. Mm -hmm. That they don't know uh, how to apologize, how to confess wrongdoing, how to uh, restore um, kind of a rupturing relationship, however small. This is so common uh, between siblings that we want we want the one to go to the other to say, "I'm sorry, I did that to you." Because siblings are these children are so willing to forgive each other. This is something we need to cultivate. Oh, geez, I hope, yeah, in in childhood because adults are worse at it. All right, uh, shame is in. A similar category as guilt. I was going to say one thing too about that. Yeah. With a kid who struggles to express, like to reveal a feeling of guilt, sometimes that can be that they don't feel much guilt. So they're broke. They're, they, their guilt mm -hmm. is broken in that they don't feel that bad when they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. Now that could be that they're not realizing how wrong it is, or they need to learn how to feel more guilty. The other possibility is they feel really, really, really bad. Mm Mm-hmm. And they won't let themselves express it because then they'll be embarrassed. And then that could lead to shame yeah, then they'll and feeling feel even worse. Um, but we shouldn't be afraid of letting our kids have feel guilt, be guilty, 
um, using guilt as part of punishment. What like it's 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 useful and good. Um, and I think the GPP folks can be too afraid it'll hurt the relationship yeah. or it's not appropriate. But I mean, that I think can shift us over well to shame, which is real and exists, but is more confusing than all the other ones <laughs> that we've talked about. Like it's just a little bit, first of all, it's, it can be difficult to understand how it could be a gift and how it could be useful. That's it. Um, or what, what good information it gives you. Yeah. What does it help with? Yeah. And then also, um, how do you even distinguish it from guilt? Like, is it, is it legitimately that different where you need two different words mm-hmm. because they are related? I think of guilt as, um, you know, it's the emotion that motivates you to right wrongs that you have done, whether habitual yeah. or, you know, like a single wrong. So if it were, if this is guilt, if it's working right, then you did something wrong, you feel guilty, you right the wrong. And once you come up with a plan and you begin acting out the plan to right the wrong, the guilt mostly or completely dissipates. Yeah. Like you don't need to feel guilty once you've identified what you did wrong and what you needed to fix it. And you've gone down and you're going down that path. Um, as long as you continue down the path, you don't need guilt. So feeling way more guilt than you need to doesn't help feel a little guilty, fix it. Stop feeling so bad. Like that's fine. That's healthy. No guilt, not healthy wallowing. Not so great. Um, you don't need baptized in guilt. Um, so shame then. So shame. So shame has a social component in that it's related to embarrassment you can be embarrassed of yourself. You can be worried about what other people are going to think about you. So there's like a reputation component to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it sort of has to do um, a little bit with facing your own frailty, perhaps your own moral failing and frailty. And I think that it helps motivate you to be humble, to realize your lack of capabilities to a degree and what you're not able to do and what control you don't have. And it also does help motivate you to pursue facing your frailties and then trying to be better. So it is related to guilt because there's like behavioral components to that, but it's sort of like being able to admit I am bad about this. Like that it's just part of who I am. Like Mm -hmm. I, I accept that I will continue to struggle with this. I don't accept that I'll never, ever get better. I don't accept that I'm not responsible for it. I don't accept that. I am responsible for it and I can get better, but I'm a weak person like because people have weakness Mm -hmm. and this is an area where I'm weak and I'm going and shame. Shame can, if it's unhealthy, motivate you to never confess it and hide it like crazy. That I think is broken. If shame is working correctly, then you reveal it to people that you can trust and you confess it to people you can trust and they help you be okay with the, with the weakness, but not, but not okay with letting the weakness stay forever. Like not, not okay with not pursuing strength. I think what was really key uh, about uh, what you were saying is when you said, I am bad about this. Uh, you know, shame gets a really bad rap with therapists who seem to think it doesn't hold uh, any use or we shouldn't even have it. And they just want to make it go away. And often uh, kind of the, the distinction is drawn that guilt comes from thoughts of I did something wrong uh, and shame is there's something wrong with me. I am bad or 
I am broken. So when, when you switch yeah. it to saying there's something wrong specifically about me, well, then you get that same thing that working guilt is supposed to give you this, this motivation to, to self-improvement. Yeah. You know, it, it also shows you the distance between yourself and, and the ideal. And since we're talking about shame, it's really the moral ideal, right? Shame a lot of times has to do with, uh, in, in in social situations, it's private, excuse me, it's public problems, but often shame has to do with kind of uh, private offenses. when And being concerned about it becoming public. Well, that's it. To a degree. Or, in, you know, being concerned that it sort of remains public to you, that you'll have to keep thinking about it because oh, you kind of uh-huh. want to, you think about yourself almost as external from yourself. There's the thing I'm ashamed of. Yeah. Then there's the real me, and I want to hide <laughs> the thing I'm ashamed of from me. Mm. And me is kind of, yeah. it's a stand-in for everybody else. Like, even if nobody else finds out about it, you gross yourself out in this situation. All you right, know? so when it comes to- It's almost ki- like you're shunning yourself, bad part of <laughs> Shun. Shun. <laughs> when it comes to kids, then, uh, essentially, we don't want- children protecting themselves from negative emotions and we don't need to be doing it either not not to be protected wholly completely yeah because some shame some functioning working shame will show us here's what uh, the moral ideal is here's what you should be like and you see oh well um Geez, I would see if I can get in a kid voice. Oh, I am kind of selfish, right? And so, okay, well, that's that's an opportunity to learn about sharing and compassion and empathy um, and 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 humility. So, I mean, I, it's something I've learned even as as we've been talking about this. Kind of think like, okay, well, yeah, let's let's go ahead and feel some negative emotions. But unlike our therapies that want to get rid of them or or there's other therapies that just, well, let's sit in them and feel them till they kind of dissipate. It's like, no, we want to feel what they're trying to teach us. And we want our kids to do this as well. And, and we have to remember too, with that, if the thoughts and interpretations that led to the emotion are rational, honest, good interpretations, logical, then the emo- that will help make sure the emotion is more healthy. If they come from a lie, it's much more likely that that emotion is not healthy and it won't function the way we need it to. So to get your emotions to function right, you need to get the thoughts in order. But something you were saying made me think of an analogy. I've been, I've been very slowly reading this book about King Arthur, and there's this idea in there about, um, and it sort of alluded to this idea of the knights would wear this like full body armor and the leaders would wear this full body armor and they were basically like impenetrable. Mm-hmm. And then they would go to battle and all the peons would be getting killed. Oh. And for the knights with this impenetrable armor, they're like, they're like tanks. They're not getting hurt. So the wars, you know, before Arthur, I think was kind of the idea are like a game is how I'm understanding it. And that's not so great in that situation because they're not experiencing the real lessons about hmm. war, which is war is not so great. There's all these guys who are dying. There are all these guys that are maimed and hurt and their lives are ruined. So the people that decide to go to war aren't experiencing the consequences of it, mm-hmm. right? Well, if your kids are acting like jerks, then there's natural emotional consequences that they should feel 
in order to help motivate them to avoid the things that they shouldn't be doing. Mm. It might be a bit of a stretched analogy, but it's interesting to think about that idea that those leaders were so protected from the consequences of war that they didn't want to avoid war. It's like a game they wanted. They Uh, liked the game. They liked uh, it. So we don't want our kids to be like that. We want our kids to want to avoid bad behaviors, not be so protected from the consequences of bad behaviors that they just get the good stuff out of the bad behaviors. Well, then they'll just keep doing it. You know, we want our kids to experience these natural, natural punishments of negative emotions, shame and shame is one of them. I mean, it, um, it's not something that should just be avoided. It's not wrong and abusive for your kids to feel some shame when it's healthy and it can be healthy. Now it's not healthy when it leads to depression or you become paralyzed in it and you're not able to change or do anything better when it destroys your hope. Because remember hope is a virtue and shame can be hope destroying when shame is broken and it's too strong. Um, and so there's definitely ways in which shame can be a problem. I mean, if it's completely ignored, then it's not going to be able Mm -hmm. to be functioned or if a per, and then that can lead to a person becoming jaded to it. They don't feel shame because they kept ignoring and they're just like, eh, I was born this way. I am this way. I'm just this way. And it's okay. I mean, it's fine. I don't need to change. I'll just, I'll just feel terrible from here out. Well, or I feel terrible and then I feel less bad and then I feel less bad and I don't care you know, shame's broken because it's yeah. meant to help, yeah. help you improve. Well, um, geez, uh, Ronnie, this is, this is the end of our emotions video, the end of our tantruming series uh, in its entirety. Um, what, what are your closing thoughts on, on emotions and tantrums? Well, um, so one closing thought, I think that's a good takeaway from this video is to, um, don't respect your kids' emotions as if they're sort of pure, trustworthy nuggets mm-hmm. of information about what's going on with your child. The fact that they feel angry doesn't mean that they were wronged. The fact that they have an affect that implies sadness doesn't mean that they're the victim that was hurt. Um, same with all the other emotions. Um, as far as the emotion conclusion, also, it's important for us to know the difference between the thought, the emotion itself, and oh, the that's affect. Right. That's right. Um, and if we understand these emotions, we'll be in a better position to teach our kids about them, the proper expression of them, mm-hmm. what they mean, um, what not to do with them. I mean, it's useful to let a kid know, hey, if you're feeling guilty, that doesn't definitely mean you did something wrong. You might not have done anything wrong, but you might have. And if you did, this should help yeah. motivate you to act right, change, be better. So, so, so listen to your emotions. We, we say to our children, so listen to your emotions. They're telling you something. It may or may not be true. And then because of that, another good takeaway is um, don't, don't just blindly protect people from their negative emotions. Uh-huh. Um, negative emotions are useful. I mean, you don't want people to wallow in them, but they can be really helpful. And their absence does not make you mentally or emotionally healthier than their presence. Um, You just, there's a, there's a balance. My big takeaway is that uh, we're playing the long game. We don't want easy wins up front. Oh, right. The easy win on tantruming is, oh, my kid, um, my kid's angry. It must be because I've done something wrong, meaning mistreated them. I'll go ahead and give what they want. It's so much easier and it's so much faster. 
uh, but it doesn't pay out. So we want upfront investment and we want uh, long-term gains uh, and, and payout. So there's something related to that. And this is sort of an odd, an odd one, but I think this is actually really important. You can let your own negative emotion get in the way of you being yes. the kind of parent you can be. Mm-hmm. So this, I think, is a good piece of advice. If you have a tendency to doubt yourself a little bit, yeah. feel too guilty or ashamed of how you're doing, you're like, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. I think often a way to deal with that is embrace your authority, make a decision. If you think you need to punish your child, punish your child. Okay. Try not, not out of emotion, like try to be, you know, uh, nonchalant and relaxed, but don't get into this cycle of self-doubt and feeling terrible. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you identify my, my child did something wrong, I'm going to go ahead and punish it. And then afterwards, if you realize, you know what, I overreacted or I underreacted or that there's more to it, then apologize for the parts in which you're wrong. But if you get into the habit of doubting yourself and then not intervening with your child's negative behaviors, Mm -hmm. you can't own, you can't, if you, if every single time you punish, you punished perfectly, you never, you never over punish and you never punish when they didn't deserve it. Then your standard for how perfectly you need to punish is too high (laughs) and you're letting, I'm worried that you might be letting your negative emotions and your self-doubt get in the way of you just doing what you need to do. Let yourself make a mistake once in a while and over punish or punish when you shouldn't have, and then apologize and try to deal with it. But that I think is more likely to lead to a healthier balance. Now, if this was 80 years ago, my advice would likely be different. I'd be like, Calm down there, parents. <laughs> You're being a little harsh unnecessarily. Let's empathize more. But in our society now, in my generation, what I've seen, I think the better advice for us is to trust yourself when it comes to punishing. If your instinct is they're doing something wrong, then trust yeah. that instinct, you know, so, and then so, just keep reevaluating. So when we say you can parent, that means that you have the competent skill and intuition uh, to do that. Or if you don't yet, Watch our videos <laughs> yeah. and, and talk to um, you know other, it's other wise people in your area. It's achievable. Yes. When we say you may parent, that means that you have permission to do so. It means that you don't have to listen to an expert who's going to tell you you're doing it wrong. It, listen, if, if, if you listen to us and you've got a better way, excellent. You may parent. You have you have permission to do that. Yeah. And and you don't have to check your parenting strategy against your kid's emotion. Definitely not. And lastly, when we say you must parent, it means you actually have a responsibility to put out young adults that can navigate the world. And so taking the early wins ends up putting out uh, infantile uh, young adults. Right. What we've got to do is, and this is not just with parenting, this is with many parts of our life, you invest in the now that's making sacrifices right now for future gains, right? You, um, you say, I'm going to pay high costs mm-hmm. with my, my present self for the benefit of my future self. And sometimes you say, I'm going to pay high costs for, of myself for the benefit of other people. That's making sacrifice for others. Yeah. And both of those are bits of moral calculus that when discerned with wisdom and accuracy and lovingly and you're embracing virtues can make everybody in your life a little better off. And you want to do that with your kids. And then you want to teach that system of making good moral decisions 
to your children so they know how to improve their competency and their virtue and make the parts of the world that they touch a bit better. Stay good out there, good parents. Thank you. You just watched one of our videos from our set of videos on tantruming. If you liked it, remember to hit like, subscribe, and leave a comment. And stick around for more videos on tantrum. You've been listening to the Good Parents, Good Children podcast. Thank you for joining us. Remember, if you have kids, you can parent, you may parent, you must parent. Please check out the other episodes in this series. On the Good Parents, Good Children podcast. Good Parents, Good Children podcast.